Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Today's episode of The Audible is brought to you by Trader Joe's, where the crew is on your team. Grab your shopping cart, make a quick snap, and move out of the pocket. Run an option to the demo station. Make an end around to the snacks, then find an eligible receiver to take you to the end zone. Learn more at TraderJoe's.com and at Trader Joe's on Instagram. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. It is the Monday morning after one of the most eventful weekends I can recall in college football on the field, and probably more notably, off the field. We do want to get into all the playoff talk, all the playoff scenarios, as we're into our last week here, but I think, Bruce, we got to start with the insanity, the craziness, the just unprecedented event we watched unfold Sunday in Tennessee. Yeah, Stu. I mean, it was just, as you said, I mean, things got got wild on Saturday, but Sunday, it was just kind of surreal to sit back and watch it from a whole lot of different levels. And, um, you know, I was thinking going, well, someday Brian Curtis, you know, who's a media writer, is probably going to have a really, really juicy story to, to, to kind of put the pieces back together on how this thing blew up from social media firestorm. And, you know, I, I don't know. I was on the phone kind of constantly, what felt like for 24 hours straight yesterday with a bunch of stuff. But the Tennessee things to me turned. I had gotten a call from somebody uh, more towards, I want to say, uh, I don't know, middle of the afternoon, my time. And this was after I, like it had already become, you know, there was the picture that everyone saw of Tennessee folks painting, you know, the, the big rock there in Knoxville uh, about just how little they wanted to do with Greg Schiano. And this person said, heads up, they're, they're talking exit strategy. You should look, start looking into it. Then I spoke to another source that has been pretty strong on this stuff uh, all week. And he said to me, he said, there's been something signed and the deal is dead. They're getting out of it. And I was like, how can they do this? He was like, they had planned an announcement that was supposed to come, I think, within the next 24 hours. And he said, they are scrambling. It is a complete firestorm. And it's just, you know, and I had a pretty, you know, I used uh, the quote from this person in my story. And it just, it like within, I don't know, within 10 minutes, I started looking on, so on you know, the people I follow. And I was like, man, this thing is going to, you know, people are just, their heads are spinning right now. It's crazy. The whole thing was unbelievable, and to be clear, I'm not saying that Greg Schiano would walk into Tennessee and, and lead them back to the glory days of Peyton Manning. It's no guarantee, but I think you and I both know just how remarkable that turnaround was at Rutgers, and that's kind of my frame of reference with him. But I guess for Tennessee fans, 
at least the ones that objected to this hire so strenuously, they maybe didn't know anything about what happened at Rutgers, or they don't care what happened at Rutgers because it's not the SEC, and they more recently remember the failed stint at Tampa Bay. Now, Tennessee fans will tell you it had nothing to do with that, and it was all about this obscure reference in a deposition in an insurance case by Mike McQuarrie that he had heard from Tom Bradley that once upon a time Greg Schiano saw Jerry Sandusky in, in the act, if you will, and didn't do anything about it. Do you remember when we were this? I remember. I got to be honest. When when this first started happening on Twitter, this this vitriol about it, I had to really rack my brain. I was like, I, I think I remember something about that. It actually it was broke. at SEC media. Yeah, we were at SEC media days, and that broke. And of course, you and and you see the headline, and you're just like triple take. Oh my gosh, this is starting up all over again. But then the more you looked into it, you know, well, this is this is a very flimsy allegation that nobody's ever going to be able to corroborate, and I don't think this is really going to go anywhere. And I just and Urban, I think Urban Meyer and Ohio State and Shiano had a statement that they came out and it kind of do like, I don't want to say dissipated to some degree and people moved on, you know, I'll be honest, like on, and, and, you know, not to see things through the prism of Ohio state media a little bit, but I did a coaching carousel preview story, which I did a lot of reporting going into it. And it went up Wednesday, which is the day before Thanksgiving. And in there I had put that, you know, I was heard that it was a very real possibility. Greg Shiano could get the Tennessee job. And you're always curious, like, you know, we do this on the audible sometimes wondering what we say could get aggregated somewhere. Right. And sometimes some of that stuff has happened with our podcast. In that case, I saw 11 warriors, the, you know, the Ohio state site had talked about, you know, I saw, saw they had done a post on it about Shiano and, and possibly getting the Tennessee job and, and that. And so I was like, you know, I didn't think anything of it other than, wow, these fans who thought they were getting, and I've had this conversation with, you know, a lot of people, including some Tennessee fans I know, all these John Gruden mania, what's going to happen if you end up with Greg Schiano? Because that had been a very real possibility for a while. But then just to see, I think there was such disbelief. Oh, my God, not only are you getting Gruden, because I really think that's what it comes back to. Well, you know? not just and, not just Gruden, but also Dan Mullen goes out of the pit, you know, Florida ends up getting Dan Mullen. They thought maybe they that would be the Tennessee coach, assuming Gruden wasn't going to be in the, the fallback. Yeah, the fallback. I believe George Schroeder reported last week that they had approached Chip Kelly initially. He wasn't interested. You know, all the all the big time names are falling out of the picture, and I guess they looked at Greg Schiano as a big step down from that. Okay, Stu, we'll get back to the podcast in a second, but this was obviously a crazy weekend. I feel like I got about an hour and a half of sleep in my hotel, but one thing I'm looking forward to is I got a pretty comfortable bed at home now, and as our listeners know, few things are more important to someone's, someone's health and sanity than a good night's sleep, right? That's right, and I agree with you. After a long week on the road, I'm happy to be back sleeping on my Lisa mattress. Go to lisa.com. That's L-E-E-S-A. Lisa.com slash audible and get $100 off a new mattress. Bruce, as you know, Lisa is an innovative direct-to-consumer online mattress brand that is also socially conscious. They're driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody. Lisa donates one mattress to a shelter for every 10 they sell 
through their 110 program. Over 22,000 mattresses donated so far. So again, go to lisa.com slash audible to get $100 off a Lisa mattress. That's lisa.com slash audible. I mean, the question is, how much do you believe that this was about we don't want to allow, we, we don't want anything to do with a guy who might have had something to do with covering up child abuse at Penn State, or how much of it was this guy's not good enough for Tennessee, and somebody somewhere latches onto that story and it catches fire. Because look, you could, you could have the biggest outcry in the world that this guy's not a good enough coach. I don't think that's going to force John Curry to, to break a contract. But when they paint the rock on campus to say Shiano covered up child rape at Penn State, there's just no getting over that. At that point is when I tweeted, they need to, both sides need to walk away. This is too toxic. You're never going to be able to come back from this. And clearly they came to that. Tennessee at least came to that conclusion, but they came to it much later in the process than you would have wanted to. So whether, whether you feel this reaction was warranted, and I certainly don't think it was, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they, that, that, I mean, it's frankly, we see this a lot now in our country. It doesn't matter if you're accurate or right. It just matters if you're loud and vocal enough. And they were, and they successfully ran this guy off. The after effect to think about is just stunning, uh, including most notably for John Curry. Yeah. I mean, you know, as we're taping this, it's, it's Monday morning. About a half hour ago, or about an hour ago, I was on the phone with with a really plugged in Tennessee source who told me there's a lot of pressure from big money boosters and, and powerful politicians there trying to mobilize to force John Curry out as the AD. It's gotten that nasty for Curry. And this person had told me it's such a hot mess. Just when you think they've gotten out of the ditch, they've fallen into a much bigger one, end quote. By the way, so Michael McCann, who used to work with and who I work with, who's a legal expert for SI, he tweeted uh, after my tweet to me, John Curry would be a key witness if Greg Schiano sues Tennessee. It would be like it would likely be better for UT if Curry is employed by UT in the event Schiano sues. Curry could have much to tell and share. If UT fires Curry, the school better negotiate a non-disclosure agreement with him. Yeah, because that, that all that all sounds perfectly reasonable, but reasonable is not the the word of the day in Knoxville right now. Yeah, let me run something by you. I'm curious what your your take on this. So, Chris Brown, uh, not that Chris Brown, Chris Brown of Smart Football fame, who is also a lawyer, he had tweeted out something I saw on Monday morning saying, you know, Tennessee folks basically, I forgot what the word he used, is it kind of running running Greg Schiano out, how would they feel if UT tried to hire Lane Kiffin, who has Kendall Bryle as, as his offensive coordinator, given his Baylor ties? And I really hadn't thought of that, that possibility. Now, I don't know. But I mean, it'd be just, would, it, would could they actually hire Lane Kiffin in the wake of all this? Who knows? But so I asked somebody else I know there and just you know, the reaction was, I can't imagine they could have Kendall Bryles welcome there because, you know, you still have a Title IX lawsuit swirling around well, from, t- from 2016. But just because you hire Lane Kiffin doesn't mean Kendall Bryles is coming with him. Doesn't, but keep in mind that, you know, they are, what are they, a top five offense. I mean, it doesn't mean he's not, you know, it doesn't mean he's coming with him. It doesn't mean he wouldn't. But I'm just saying that 
would they be okay? Would there be a backlash to Lane Kiffin given his connection to Kendall Bryles, given Kendall Bryles' connection to Baylor? Of course not. Again, of course not, because they would think Ken, Lane Kiffin's a good. And by the way, what does that say about where we've come in the state of Tennessee? This they rioted practically when he left the first time. He was the single biggest arch enemy of Tennessee football for years, and I think given recent events. Given, of course, the success Lane has had at um, both Alabama and FAU, there's a segment of that fan base. I don't know how big a segment that would welcome him back with open arms today. All right, Stu, we've we've hashed around a lot of Tennessee craziness on the coaching carousel. We can revisit that in a second, but I think we should dive deep dive into what we were expecting to talk a lot more about today, which is the possibilities of the playoff and everything that's uh, that's going on with that. And I think we should start in the SEC, not not Tennessee-related, but you went to the Auburn-Alabama game, and what the heck do we make of, of how things are unfolding now with the playoff with a lot of stuff on the line this weekend? Well, okay, first of all, can I just say the Iron Bowl lived up to everything I hoped it would be. It was one of the best atmospheres I've ever experienced. It was... You know, you expect the stadium to be loud when your team's on defense, but where you really noticed it was when Auburn would have a big play on offense. Just the, sh- the 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 magnitude of the roar through the stadium was just unbelievable. Uh, it was also obviously surreal. I've covered a whole lot of Alabama games under Nick Saban. They all follow a familiar script. First of all, they win, and second of all, whether they win decisively or not. One thing you usually count on with Alabama is they play a very clean football. Not a lot of penalties, not a lot of missed tackles, if any. And it was just a, by the end, it was just a meltdown when they had the consecutive botched snaps um, and the silent count. Auburn was the better team. If Jared Stidham doesn't fumble uh, near the goal line, fumble his own snap near the goal line when they were about to go up 14 nothing, it probably would have been a blowout uh, earlier in the game. You had some pretty. You were doing the Washington Washington State game sideline reporter, and you had a, a pretty strong comment about Alabama in the playoff picture. Yeah, so we had a lot of a lot of uh, fill time in our game because it was such a blowout, and we got into talking about the playoff and a bunch of coaching search stuff. My thing with Alabama is, you know, and obviously I I, res- I respect the program, and it's been awesome what Nick Saban's done. I think he's the best coach, not just in my lifetime in college football, but in the history of the sport. I'm going to start with that. But I don't think they have much of much of a case. You know, I have them number five right now in my top ten. Problem is they're not going to play another game, and two teams behind them – have a chance, I think, if they win their conference title games, to leapfrog them. And, uh, you know, listen, you've told me a lot that the committee values who you beat. Well, right now, if you look at Alabama's resume, their best win is over 9-3 and three LSU. After that, I mean, what also hurt them beyond them just them losing this weekend was also that what had been their best win was Mississippi State. And Mississippi State lost to like a, a two-touchdown underdog at home to, to Ole Miss. And you can say, well, yeah, they lost their starting quarterback. I need to remind you, Ole Miss was playing without Shea Patterson, too. And uh, when you're – so right now, what does Alabama have to hang their hat on? I would feel differently if Alabama lost a game, but at least it was in the SEC title game. So at least you could say, well, they beat Auburn and they got LSU. Mm-hmm. Because 
all this talk about, well, they beat Florida State, and we all thought Florida State was going to be really good, but then their quarterback got hurt. That's baloney. Yeah. Then you should give Wisconsin credit for beating BYU because they're usually pretty good. Yeah, look, I mean, Wisconsin Wisconsin beating Northwestern is is probably as good right now or close to as good as – as the win over LSU, they're both nine and three teams and Wisconsin's going to play a very talented Ohio state team and they don't have a loss. And that's the big thing for me. So, you know, I guess the question, you know, would be Ohio, a two loss Ohio state team that wins a conference title game that would have a win over Wisconsin, a blowout win against Michigan state, you know, win over Michigan would you put them in over an eleven and one over eleven and one Alabama team that doesn't have any great wins and didn't win their title? I mean, is that what it comes down to? I assume the the big argument potentially could be if Ohio State beats and doesn't blow out Wisconsin, so you'd have a a eleven and one Ohio State team with with a bad loss. Eleven and two Ohio State team. Oh, yeah, sorry. Eleven and two, Ohio State team with a bad loss to Wisconsin, to a bad loss at Iowa, and a convincing loss at home to Oklahoma. But they would have blown out Michigan State, which is a pretty good team, beaten Michigan on the road, have a have a really uh, good win over an undefeated Wisconsin team, and also you know beat Penn State. I mean, to me, that's gonna and they don't have. They have a conference. They have a conference title game, whereas Alabama just doesn't have that. I mean, what else potentially needs to happen for Alabama to have a real chance beyond people just going, "Well, it's Nick Saban's team, and they're always here," and and Vegas would would favor them, if, you know, if that happened, because Vegas favored them over over Penn, over Ohio State a few years ago, and obviously that didn't work out so great when they played in the uh, Sugar Bowl. Funny you should say that. What would have to play out? My forward pass column on the All American on Monday morning laid out 19 different playoff scenarios that I could come up with. Alabama only shows up in seven of them. But it's hard to, and by the way, as always, you can go to theathletic.com slash theaudible and get 25% off a subscription to the All-American with a free seven-day trial. It's, uh, it's hard to say they're completely out of it. I mean, I agree. They don't have a playoff resume. They just don't. Every playoff team to this point had three, at least three top 25 wins, all but one had a conference championship. Alabama doesn't have either of those things. The But they didn't have those things last week either, and they were the number one team because they were undefeated and because they were Alabama. And maybe you could say, well, they're Alabama and they passed the eye test. But as I wrote from the game Saturday, they, you can no longer say that. They passed the eye test when they were beating up on uh, Tennessee and Arkansas and Ole Miss. Once they started playing better teams, I think it became pretty evident that they're a good team. They're not... Alabama of the past few years. But again, hard to say they're completely out of it. Bruce, back to the podcast in a second, but I want to ask you, how is your Mack Weldon underwear treating you these days? Pretty damn good, Stu. Cushy socks and soft underwear, man, it just makes a guy feel great as he goes through the course of a day, uh, whether you're traveling on a plane or just like sitting in the car for a long car ride, right? I mean, very underrated it's for the guys' most, well-being. Yes, Mack Weldon's the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. 
They want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will still refund you. No questions asked. I don't think you're going to want that refund based on my shopping experience. But go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using promo code AUDIBLE. Not only does Mac Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too. They're good for working out, going to work, going out on dates, just everyday life. So go to MacWeldon.com slash Audible. Get that 20% off. MacWeldon.com slash Audible. The way this plays itself out very cleanly, and we have no playoff controversy, is either team that wins the ACC game, either team that wins the SEC game is going to be two. Oklahoma wins, that's three. Wisconsin wins, that's four. End of, de- end of debate. The issue, obviously, is what happens if Ohio State beats Wisconsin. And that or is where you get in. Our, our game is, our game on Big Fox is TCU-Oklahoma. What happens if TCU beats Oklahoma? Okay, so that's an interesting one, too. Let me just say one thing before I get to that. Ohio State versus, if it did come down to Ohio State versus Alabama, it would be the least satisfying debate in the history of debates because most people don't want either of those teams in the playoff. They're both extremely flawed. But given what the committee has said over and over again about the importance of big wins, I got to think they would go with the team that just beat a 12-0 and Wisconsin team, that beat a 10-2 and Penn State team, that blew out a 9-3 and Michigan State team. You know, they would have big wins, which Alabama would not, unless they say, well, that Iowa game is just a deal-breaker. To your point about TCU beating Oklahoma, okay, I hadn't really thought about this till I sat down to write the column. Is, does, does, is Oklahoma in either way? I mean, okay, TCU beats Oklahoma and TCU is the Big 12 champ. Well, they still have the same record. The two of them still have the same record. They split a pair of meetings and they both beat Oklahoma State. But after that, TCU doesn't really have another notable win, whereas Oklahoma won at Ohio State. I think they would stay above them and possibly just stay in the playoff. Yeah, I I thought about that too, just because not only did they beat Ohio State, they beat them in Columbus. It actually wasn't that close. I mean, I I would think it'd be one thing if Ohio State, we were talking about a one-loss Ohio State team, but not a two-loss Ohio State team. So I think, you know, I have Oklahoma my, my, my number one team right now, and I think that, you know, it'd be different if they, if they got, you know, beaten you know, 31 to seven. But if it's a close game, I think they have a, a like, probably a decent argument to get in the playoff. So again, two spots I'm saying are, are just winner winners in ACC, SEC. If Oklahoma loses to TCU, Wisconsin beats Ohio State, Wisconsin's the third team. Now are you going to take 11 and two Oklahoma? Or are you going to take 11 and one Alabama? Again, I go back to it. Oklahoma has has three better wins than anything Alabama has. Right. I think the only way the committee could justify it, and I don't think people would like it, is if they... I mean, the committee has been pretty harsh on Oklahoma to this point. They've been very skeptical of their defense. And they could, I could see them saying, well, Alabama just has a much better defense. And Are they skeptical of Baker Mayfield? Because I would take him over any quarterback in the country, and it's not even close now. And you know what? I had the same concerns earlier in the season. But as it goes on, I mean, look, some of the other teams we're talking about here, Clemson, Miami, uh, I don't put Miami in the same breath, especially after losing to Pitt, but Clemson, Georgia, certainly. Auburn's defense is unbelievable. 
A lot of these teams have great defenses, and Oklahoma does not. But none of those teams have Baker Mayfield. And and the, the deeper we get into this, here's an interesting question that um, Pat Forty threw out to me the other night. We were driving back from the game. Without the each of the last three years, I mean Alabama only won the playoff once, but in each of those years they went in as the consensus favorite. Right? Everybody thought Alabama was going to win the playoff. If they're out of it, who's the favorite? Who who would be the team that people would say, yeah, that's the team that's going to win the playoff? I don't think there is one. No, I agree. I, I think that's it's different. There is nothing that you look at and go, okay, I think this is this is a dominant team. It just doesn't feel like that year. Everybody is really, really flawed. Why do you think we don't feel that way about defending national champion Clemson? Because they lost to Syracuse? Because they lost to Syracuse. And it's not like they lost to a good Syracuse team. They lost to a bad Syracuse team. You're not at this point of the committee's opinion that that was just a complete aberration where Kelly Bryant got hurt and they haven't played the game like that since before they didn't play. They were, they never looked anything like that before and they haven't looked anything like that since they, they, um, you know, obviously handled South Carolina pretty easily the other night. They play really good defense. I think they're really good. I just have a hard time. I, I still, maybe I shouldn't have a hard time accepting that this is still Deshaun Watson level Clemson, but if they beat Miami, a really good Miami team, they're going to go into the playoff with the same record they did last year. Yeah, look, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of people should, should pick them, predict them to win it all then. But, but I don't Thompson, think I... by the way, is another team I should mention that if Miami beats them, is there a scenario where they still get in? Because we know the committee loves their resume. They beat Auburn. They beat Virginia Tech. They, they actually have, I'm assuming Florida State gets to 500 this week against Louisiana Monroe. So even if Clemson doesn't beat Miami, they would have eight wins over 500 or better opponents. No other team will top that. I mean, what about that? What if it's between 11 and two Clemson doesn't win the ACC against 11 and two Ohio State that wins the Big Ten? I would lean towards a team that wins the conference. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess we need to see how both teams look on Saturday. I think where Ohio State would be okay there is because now the Iowa loss is it's kind of moot because Clemson has their own terrible loss. By the way, yeah, I, you know what? I would agree because I was about to say something that I kind of walked it back. I was about to say, well, Iowa's a much better team than I think in Syracuse, but Iowa blew out Ohio State. It wasn't like even without Kelly Bryant. I mean, it was still a down-to-the-wire game. Um, and one was a road loss, one was a home loss, so I don't want to drift too much into that. Uh, oh no! I think this this whole conversation is is making me realize that this is just kind of a watered down pool of teams this year. Now Auburn, the way it's playing right now, I mean, they if they go ahead and they beat Georgia again, especially soundly, they probably would be that team that everybody's picking, even though they would be the first two loss playoff team. Because right now they 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 are playing so well uh, on both sides of the ball. But they do have the two losses. They blew the lead against L- twenty point lead against LSU. This is not a great pool of candidates. And uh, you know, I, I like to read Bill Connolly's efficiency rankings, and he it's an interesting point he made Sunday. Ohio State is number one in his efficiency rankings, probably because they blow out so many teams. And but the the score that they have, the rating at this same point last year, they would have been eighth. So that kind of tells you how less impressive this pool of teams at the top is than it was a, a year ago. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all crazy. It just is. Um, and speaking of crazy, <laughs> the coaching carousel heated up. And obviously we talked about Tennessee. Um, what surprised you the most beyond Tennessee of, of things that happened this weekend? Surprised me the most? or I mean, there were just so many strange we knew, moments. We knew, we knew Arkansas Kevin Stoffel was going to get fired. We knew he was going to get fired. You we knew, knew Brett Bielmo's get fired. I didn't know if he'd get, he'd get fired as soon as he walked off the field. Uh, so I'll, I'll tell you what was most surprising. Not that Arizona State fired Todd Graham. I, we think we all knew that was a strong possibility all year long. But the press conference up, from Ray Anderson, the AD, that was surprising. That was that was bizarre. <laughs> that, was uh, bizarre. <laughs> that was bizarre where he said they're going to try to win Pac-12 championships, but they're not going to pay very well, and, and they want the new coach to keep the two coordinators. Good luck with that. But, no, more surprising to me. Now, look, we don't. I don't have the pulse of every fan base in America by any means. So... I guess I just was, you know, it snuck up on me. ASU did end up having a pretty, they, they had two non-conference losses, including to San Diego State. But then they ended up going 6-3 and three in the Pac-12. They beat Washington. They beat their rival at the end of the year. Um, unbeknownst to me, ASU fans are back on the Todd Graham bandwagon and are actually ticked at Ray Anderson for firing him. And when I suggested that, you know, that could be where Kevin Sumlin lands, they weren't happy about that either. They don't think he's an upgrade from Todd Graham. And so the biggest surprise of the weekend, other than the Tennessee thing, is that who knew ASU fans were back in love with Todd Graham? Well, I think one of the things, and you know, this is something I've reported on Saturday, people had assumed, oh, Kevin Sumlin was going to a foregone conclusion to ASU. Remember, Kevin Sumlin by, turned down that job six years ago. I'm not sure how much the president, from what I heard, was thrilled, you know, was, feels, feels too good about that. So, you know, could he end up there? Maybe. But I think there's going to be, you know, because of that press conference was so awkward, you know, it's just a very, very weird situation. And I, I caution weird just because we've seen Tennessee is like taking it to another level. But yeah, that, and it's, I think that's a good job. You have a really good recruiting base there, new facilities or upgraded facilities. So I am told, Stu, that the Nebraska stuff, <laughs> that Lars Anderson had reported a week ago, the Bleacher Report writer, who's a Nebraska guy, $35 million for seven years for Scott Frost. There is definitely something to that. Now, has Scott Frost accepted it? No, because he still has another week left at UCF. But everything is trending towards him being the next coach at Nebraska. Home run hire? Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> it's it's a home run hire, and it kind of just worked out perfectly for them when UCF won the uh, the thrilling game the other day against USF and advanced to the conference title game. That put Florida in a situation where they felt like they couldn't wait a week, not knowing whether he's actually going to pick their job or Nebraska's. So they go ahead and lock up Dan Mullen, and now just the path is clear. If Scott Frost wants to return home, it's certainly on the table. You talk about weird press conferences. Bill Moose, the new AD at Nebraska, is maybe the only AD I've ever seen who just openly talks about the candidates and flat out says, oh, yeah, we're very interested in Scott Frost. He's a great coach. We're, we are being sensitive to the fact that his season is still going. And I'm thinking, Scott Frost is back there in Florida going, why are you talking about this? I've got a championship game to get ready for. I just, you know, there's been a lot of sentiment that might stay at UCF. I don't know how you don't. You know, how often is this job going to come open? 
Exactly. The last thing I want, I want to ask you about is Kevin Sumlin's out at Texas A&M. All signs are pointing towards Scott Woodward, the AD there, and former LSU uh, athletic official who knows Jimbo Fisher really well from their time together in Baton Rouge, making a huge financial run at Jimbo Fisher. A, if you're, what do you think Jimbo Fisher is going to do, and what would happen? What do you think their their uh, Texas A&M does if he doesn't end up there? I have no idea what Jimbo Fisher is going to do. It, I, I'm, you know, there's too much smoke there to think this isn't a strong possibility. Uh, I don't think it would be out there if they didn't think he was interested. But then LSU sure thought they were going to get him the last couple of years, and he turned them down. So, you know, obviously things have changed. It's been a disaster of a season there. He's under pressure to fire some of his coaches, and maybe he just feels like it's time for a career reboot and a new place. I know he is long. You know, he just has such an affinity for the SEC, and it always seemed like maybe he'd want to end up back there. By the way, Max Olson did this research. Do you know who the last coach was who left a school where he won a national championship to take another college job? You know, I should know this because I actually saw the tweet. It's something that happened like 40 years ago, right? Yeah, it was Johnny Majors leaving Pitt to go to Tennessee. And I actually happened to have researched that recently, and I don't remember why, maybe for a mailbag answer. This is crazy. Imagine this happening today. Not only did Johnny Majors leave that job, that, by the way, this is, wasn't, wasn't where like Jimbo Fisher is a few years removed from it. They won the national championship that year, 1976, with, as a GA, who? No, no. I know, the I best hair in TV, Dave Wanstaff. Yes. Like, he took the job before the bowl game. He took the job, and then they played in a bowl game and won and won the national championship. Word around the Fox Green Room, Stu, is Majors actually took that job and abandoned the national title team just to get away from Wanstaff. Probably, nah, that can't be. They're so <laughs> charming. By the way, hey, I just hey, I can I just give a quick shout out to, to to my former employer, your friends there. They had the Ohio State Michigan game for the first time. Gus and Joel and Jenny Taft, and I thought they just they did a fantastic job. It was a great call and uh, befitting of the moment. So hats off to to our friends there, Gus, Joel, uh, Jenny, and everybody involved with that. My yeah, shout out of week, Stu. Yeah, that was my shout out. <laughs> Yeah, my shout out of the week is to Vita Vea. He is the 6'4", 340-pound defensive tackle, defensive lineman for Washington. I have done games. I've had Ohio State twice in person. I've had Michigan. I've had Oklahoma. I ain't seen nothing in person like Vita Vea played the other night. He is an absolute beast. And when he wants to play like that, I mean, there's not a better there's not a better defensive lineman or anything like him in college football. I mean, he was eating up double teams and just th- he was just ragdolling guys. I mean, to see it in person, I was like, my God! And the more it happened, the more he kept on just going off. The crazy is, you know, everyone Hercules Madoff was a great player. He'll probably be the the Pac-12 uh, defensive player of the year. But Washington State is small on their D-line, on their defense. They're not small on their O-line. And just to see it, I was – I mean, I'm not sure I've seen a player who was more impressive than what I, this season than what I saw from big number 50 for Washington. So that's it for me. Yeah, that's a, that's a strong statement. It's interesting. We know college football teams change from week to week. When I saw Washington only a couple weeks ago against Stanford, they weren't impressive at all. 
and then you see them just run Washington State off the field, which, by the way, has got to be you know, a little bit galling at this point to, uh, to Washington State fans. They keep getting blown out in the Apple Cup to Chris Peterson's teams. We got a little sidetracked. We were still talking about Jimbo Fisher and a and I don't know if he's going to take the job or not. And you asked me if he doesn't take the job, who do they go for? You know, it's interesting is, is even though this has been a possibility, a strong possibility for a year that they would have a coaching opening now, is there a necessarily a no-brainer plan B? I don't think there is. Now, I'd heard maybe they would consider Gary Kubiak who won a Super Bowl in the NFL as a head coach and as a, as a, as a guy, a former Aggie or an Aggie with big ties there. The other name somebody had mentioned to me there was Kyle Whittingham because the president of the school had, had you know, was very fond of him. He'd come from Utah. Kyle Whittingham has never been anywhere near the SEC. I don't know how that would work. We both think, I know, that he's a terrific coach. I just don't know if he would do it. I don't know how comfortable they are. But uh, how about they just trade and get Todd Graham? Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if everybody in in Texas would feel the same way about them that apparently the ASU fans we've talked to feel about. Is Chad Morris ready for that A and M job? I I mean I think he's a good coach and did a really good job at Clemson. I don't know how they would hire Chad Morris. I mean he's I don't know what his record overall in three years in the AAC is like ten and fifteen or ten and seventeen or something like that. I know he took over a bad situation. But at seven and five in the AAC, I know he's a you know a proud Texas high school coach, and he went there. That to me is a would be a, a big gamble to, to to throw him in against Nick Saban and all those other guys in the SEC. Yeah, I would agree, and so I hope Scott Woodward has a good has a good uh, plan B in mind because now it's one of these situations, and not quite the John Gruden situation because that was just pure fiction, but. Where it's everybody at A and M's all got their hopes up about Jimbo, and if he doesn't come through, now you got to come up with somebody that, that they're going to not feel is a complete <laughs> that is such a big downfall that they're going to riot the way Tennessee fans did. So, I Bruce, hope. somehow we got to this point of the podcast without mentioning the name Chip Kelly. I know. Give, give me the grade on a scale of one to ten. What you give it? A plus plus. I mean, I don't care when that's A through Z. I don't care what happens from here. UCLA won the coaching carousel. I think you and I both suspected he was more likely to end up at a place like UCLA than a place like Florida, but nevertheless, I mean, what a coup for a program that has frankly been irrelevant in football for going on 20 years now. And as I wrote, I think this is a really, really big deal for the Pac-12. You know, you look at the Pac-12 this year, and all the headlines are about late kickoff times and... I mean that Washington Stanford game got preempted for a truck race. It's uh, it's not you know, and they're and they're basically out. We haven't we did a whole playoff discussion. Never mentioned USC or Stanford because it's just not going to happen. So that conference needs a jolt of something. And you know when Chip was in it the first time, everybody watched Oregon games. You wanted to watch Oregon games because they were so fun to watch. And look, I don't know if he'll be able to do that immediately. Obviously, UCLA's got problems that that uh, he's going to need to address. I, maybe you know better than me what the who his likely quarterback is going to be. It's not going to be Josh Rosen. So, uh, I mean, but it'll happen. It'll happen quickly. Is pretty good. I know they have a really talented freshman or high school kid committed there from Vegas who, who would fit what Chip does. Uh, I think recruiting will go very well for him. So I would, I would predict pretty comfortably that that's going to happen. But, uh, 
No, we'll see. I mean, I agree with you. I think this is an A plus plus hire. I mean, to me, this is the one home run hire somebody is making this winter. But um, it's good. I think it's ultimately it's good for college football to have him back in there because he's such an innovator. And I certainly think it's good for the Pac-12 for everything we just said. All right, one more real quick. How do you feel about Ole Miss giving the job to Matt Luke? Well, we know he de- he re- desperately wants it. You know, they may, we'll see what happens with the NCAA sanctions. I'm not sure how many guys they were going to get who who I think would have been better fits there. You know, I think he did a really nice job this year. Given all the distractions, they lost Shea Patterson almost midway through the year, and they responded well. Look, they took it to Miss to Mississippi State, their arch rival, and I think based on that, you know, we'll see. I mean. I don't know if they were in position to make any home run hires given given their situation with the NCAA anyway. So I, I thought it was a decent move. Yeah, and and you know the Egg Bowl I think changed it because they that was such an important game for them. The fans so wanted to get Mississippi State for their role in in the, in turning them in for the sanctions, and uh, so he gets the win. Uh, Jason Kersey was there for us and wrote a really good story that night about. Matt Luke and the emotions of, of you know, a lot of people there felt he should get the job, and I read it and I enjoyed it, and I thought, eh, I don't think there's much of a chance there. Like, why would they promote the interim coach who just went six and six? But like you said, because of the threat of the sanctions, I don't know that there was an obvious uh, home run guy that was going to come in there. I mean, frankly, these SEC schools now, I mean, there's so many openings. It's, you're getting to the point of who's left. I looked at a list that the Clarion Ledger did of Mississippi State candidates to replace Mullen, and you know there were good mid-major coaches on that list. Obviously, Bill Clark has done phenomenal work at UAB, getting that program back up and running. They mentioned Neil Brown from Troy, but I mean, this is we're now many, many rungs down the ladder from Chip Kelly, Dan Mullen, Scott Frost, and so on. That is right. Well, look, Stu, there's going to be more stuff that's going to happen this week. We appreciate you guys, as always, listening. Next week, hopefully, we'll get to some of your questions in the mail. Next week, we'll have a playoff field to talk about. How about that? And uh, roll those credits. If you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. If you enjoy college football podcasts, also subscribe to the All-American Podcast with Nicole Auerbach, Max Olson, and Chantel Jennings. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our intro song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. Download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow Bruce on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel. And subscribe to The All-American if you haven't done so already at theathletic.com slash all-american. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.